Reckless love. Yeah. We probably need to just find a different key for that because I feel like that's a very possible slow entry. Can you take us back to Reckless Love, pretty please? Amen. Thank you, guys. Good job. Thank you. Appreciate that. Uh, while they're transitioning off stage, I want to remind you of a couple of things. Danny has uh, deacon nomination forms. If you have not filled one of these out and you are a uh, member here, please raise your hand so we can get you one of these today. Raise your hand if you've not done one of these yet. We're trying to get those turned in today. If you need till Wednesday, we'll extend it to Wednesday. Deacons decided to do that this morning, so please turn those in promptly. We would appreciate it. Anybody else? Raise your hand high if you have not filled out your deacon nomination form. All right, good. Uh, if you need one, see Danny. He'll get you with that. Also, we're having church church shirt orders. We're going to be doing, uh, hopefully in the fall here, uh, I hope everything holds out so we can have uh, cover bridge days. These shirts are very soft. Uh, today's the last day. We're planning on putting the order in tomorrow, so please sign up for a t-shirt if you've not done that before you go out. And uh, Danny, have I covered it all? Did I miss anything on the housekeeping items? I think he's going to say that's good. All right, we're going to pretend like he said that's good and move on. All right, it's good. All right, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Luke chapter 11 this morning. Uh, to, while you're flipping over there, we're going to be at verses 1 through 13. Today we're going to see Jesus is going to provide instructions on how we pray. Now, just to give us a reminder of where we have been last week, we were at the end of chapter 10. And this is, a, this is a section of scripture here where we have a discourse on what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus. And so in the, the last week's sermon, we saw, well, first of all, it means loving other people the way the Good Samaritan uh, loved that man that was beaten and left on the road to Jericho, which involves sacrifice and giving in danger. 
And that is a great commandment. And a lot of people love that commandment. And they, they preach that commandment. And that's good. But then there was another commandment after that that was given. There is a command that supersedes service. And that is sitting at the feet of Jesus Christ. Not neglecting to be under the preaching and teaching of the word of God. Because it is the ear that guides the hand. Right? That's what we're seeing in scripture emerge. And today we're going to see Jesus giving instruction on prayer. What did Jesus say? My house will be a house of what, church? Prayer, right? Isn't that what he said in the scripture? My house is a house of prayer. The question is, what does prayer look like? Now, the section we're about to read, I don't personally think that this was a passage that is the exact mirror of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 7 uh, in the the New Testament, or Matthew 6, wherever that is, the Lord's Prayer. Uh, This is something that, you know, Jesus probably spoke on multiple times. And it's been recorded by Luke and it's recorded by Matthew. And it's, you're going to see a lot of the same overlap. In the first service, you know, the first time I ever read this instruction, I read it in the King James. So I slipped into some King James English in the first service. If I do that while I'm reading scripture again, just understand that's how I first came to know it. And it's just like a brain default whenever I'm looking at this. All right. So let's look at this together. The Lord's Prayer. Uh, Jeff, if you don't care, will you just follow along as always? I appreciate it. All right. Here's what the Word of God says. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he had finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Uh, Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who was a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and has nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, He will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given. To you seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead... Of a fish, give him a serpent. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Amen. May God have blessing to the reading of his holy, inerrant, and infallible word. And I pray that we have this truth written on all of our hearts today. Prayer is a mysterious thing. Let's be honest about it for just a minute. It's a mysterious thing. There are sections and thoughts about prayer that, quite frankly, as a young believer, I struggled with. And, uh, and still today, as I think through prayer, passages where it says, do you need more workers? Ask me. It's like, why would you have me ask you if you know I need more workers, right? And then sometimes we're surprised when the thing we pray for God answers. 
It was mid-December. Becky's mother got sick with COVID on Halloween, and she had been under full sedation since early November. We had had a conversation with her. We kind of waited in the mornings, and every morning her primary care doctor would come in and set the phone up so that we could talk to her. 21 days, full sedation. And they had brought her up enough to where she could respond. And next day, she took a turn for the worse. Her oxygen levels plummeted. And the doctor was on the phone with us that morning. We hadn't taken the kids to school yet. She said, I really think the Lord just gave you a chance to tell her goodbye. That it's, she's probably gonna, not going to survive this. And uh, man... That feeling in that moment. I, I turned to my wife. We got off the phone. I think she took the news better than I did. And uh, I began to weep in her arms. And I had to get my countenance back together and get these kids to school. And my prayer that morning for I don't know how long was, Lord, just give her just a little more time here. Just a little more time with these children. A little more time with her daughter. Lord, a little more time with us. Can you just spare her this one time? And, um, and I, I'm going to be honest with you. After I dropped those kids off, I went back to the house and I got my funeral suit ready. I went and got all my clothes to get ready. I was preparing to preach my mother-in-law's funeral. And uh, we got a call after a day of praying like that. She's doing better. She's turned. It's a long story short, she stayed. She was able to come back out. She was able to leave and walk out of the nursing home, the rehabilitation home she was in from November to February, end of February. And that nurse looked at her and she said, do you know how many people have been fully sedated on a ventilator at 100% capacity for 21 days, had a stroke in the middle of that and walk out of a situation like that? She said, no, how many people? She said, just you. You're the only one in all my years as a nurse that I've ever seen do nothing like that. Friends, there is no other explanation for that except prayer. There's just not. There's no other explanation that it was God's will. He used prayer as a means to, to bring her back. And uh, so what, what's going on in this passage? Let's, let's look at this context here and let's see if we can get an understanding then of how we pray and the importance of prayer. Going back to verse 1. In verse 1 of chapter 11, we are seeing here Jesus is in a deep, intense prayer. And the disciples observe this prayer. They, they see it and it moves them. Have you ever been around somebody who prays? And by the way that they pray, it brings conviction to you. Uh, it, it brings awe to you. It inspires. Uh, they're praying scripture. They're praying the word. But even more so than that, as they continue to pray, you almost feel like I should have prepared before I came to pray with you because their prayers are uh, spurring you along. You can feel the relationship. You feel it in your soul. And I think that's what these disciples are seeing here in this first verse here. They are seeing a, a type of intensity and prayer that was sadly lacking from the scribes and the Pharisees and all that surrounded him. There was an intimacy here. There was an intensity here in this prayer that they had not seen before. And oh my, if we all had prayer lives like that, with an intensity, an intentionality, with an intimacy 
like Jesus had here. Well, how do we do this? Well, he tells us here. Let's look first of all. Father, hallowed be your name. It's always fun and cute when the children are trying to learn the Lord's Prayer. And they'll say things to me like, Pastor, why do we have to say Halloween be thy name when we say the Lord's Prayer, right? Or how come we have to say hollow be thy prayer? Because little kids are trying to figure it out. Hallowed is an old English word, right? It's a word that's not used often today. And what does the word mean? It means to set aside as glorified and holy. So the first thing first, we want to get God's name right and say who he is. There's an intimacy here, right? It says Father. You know, there's a relationship and a desire for a relationship is there. Uh, the very way that he communicates with us. A father is one who is trusted and who is loved. I've said it many times, you know, we all uh, kind of get to a point where we don't like to be mothered, but we don't like to lose our fathers. We love our fathers to be able to turn to them. There's a relationship that is there. Uh, the hollow be your name. Man, this is the God who created. This is the God described in Isaiah. What do the angels say that surround the throne day and night in Isaiah chapter 6 and in Revelation? Holy, holy, holy is your name. There is, first thing we're seeing right out of the bat here, you got to get God's name right, right? Call him who he is, God the Father, God the Creator. And there's got to be a degree of reverence in prayer, right? There should be a degree of reverence. Uh, You know, when we pray... Remember who we're talking to. Those of you who have been working with us in Sunday school, you know, right? Remember Job was ready to go up to bat with God. Had his guns fully loaded. He was ready to lay into God for some of the things that he saw as injustices as he thought he was going to be the judge over God. And what's God's reply? Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth, right? Uh, there, is a, there is a degree of reverence that we show other people in our society, Right? How many of y'all ever watched that show, Judge Judy, that came on years ago? You remember Judge Judy? You remember that show? Tell me about Judge Judy. What do you remember about her? Was she laid back and laissez-faire in her courtroom? No, sir, buddy. She was militant, right? She was like, this is the, you need to sit down and be quiet. You know, she was not shy to tell people what they needed to do and when they needed to do it. She carried an authority. And we're seeing Jesus here recognizing the authority that is there, right? Can you imagine somebody showed up at Judge Judy and they had a t-shirt on and said, Judge Judy is my homegirl? You think she'd like that? I think she'd blow a circuit, right? Have you seen those shirts that say, Jesus is my homie? We don't think much about that though, do we? Now there should be a reverence with the name of God. There's intimacy, but there should be an awe. There should be, a, there should be an inspired understanding in our souls, this is the creator and sustainer. This is the I am. This is the one, the only one whose name is hollowed. The only one whose name is holy, right? Your kingdom come. Well, right off the bat here, we're seeing another thing ascribed to the name, and that is his kingdom. It's all about the kingdom of God. You know, one of the things that A dear friend of mine who's a missionary, he said he can always tell the spiritual condition of a church by guess guess what he looks at. Do you know what he looks at to tell? Since this is a sermon on prayer, I'll give you a hint. It has something to do with prayer in the church. You want to guess what it is? It's the church prayer sheet. He said, Pastor, I can look at the church prayer sheet and I can tell if this is an immature group of believers or a mature group of believers. I said, how can you tell that? You know what he told me? 
He said, if they're constantly praying for Aunt Gladys's big toe, and it's all about them, and all about this surgery or that surgery, and there's nothing about the kingdom of God, there's nothing about the Great Commission, there's nothing about seeking to save that which is lost, there is a very immature uh, thing that is happening in that body. It's reflective of an immaturity in that church. What could I say to that? What's the second part of this, this model prayer? Your kingdom come. Here's the question. Are your prayers centered on you and your needs? I say that, and I just gave you an example at the very beginning of how I prayed for a need that I wanted. Or is it kingdom-centered? Third thing here, give us each day our daily bread. Now, here's a lovely part of the prayer that you don't hear a lot in the United States. I mean, you hear it when people are praying the model prayer, but you don't really hear it when people are kind of praying off the top of their head and out of their heart, right? Why is that? Well, first of all, most of you in here have enough food in your pantry to last you several weeks without going to the grocery store. You don't really have, in the sense that a lot of people in that time period had, or you know, even now in our culture, some people are still kind of hand-to-mouth living. You, you don't live day-to-day. If God doesn't answer this prayer, you won't have toast in the morning, right? That's not where you live. You go to Sam's Club and you buy a couple hundred dollars worth of groceries, it's going to take you a better part of a month to consume. And then we also go to church fellowships where we're throwing almost buckets of food away because we gave the kids too much to eat and, and we live in a land of plenty. I'm not complaining about it. I'm glad for it. And as you can see, a product of it. But... Here's the reality of this passage, though. And this is the question that's being pressed in on us, right? I don't think God wants us to just emptily rattle off words ritualistically, right? We know prayer requests are not just about ritual. They're about relationship, aren't they? And here in this passage here, give us this day our daily bread. What is he saying? Jesus is saying this. When is the last time you had, and you don't answer this out loud, okay? This is a rhetorical question. Keep this to yourself. When was the last time you earnestly prayed and asked God to meet your daily needs. Okay? All right. Now, I'm going to further apply this just a second here. Now, some of you are here this morning, and you're going through a particular situation that you didn't think you would ever be in. You didn't think you would have to deal with what you have to deal with. You were either given something that you never wanted to deal with or something was taken away from you that you hoped you would always have. Either way, you have found yourself in one of these two categories. And as you are suffering through, you are thinking about it, and it's looming in your mind every day when you get up, when you eat, when you go to bed, and it's just there constantly over and over. What's this passage reminding us, right? Pastor, what do I do when I don't know what to do? When I have found myself in a place of crushing darkness and, and grief and pain and it's daily. Well, you pray this prayer. God, give me what I need to get through what? Today. That's your prayer. God, give me what I need to get through today, right now. I need your grace now. Give me the grace I need right now today. All right, verse 4. This one's hard for Baptists. We're going to jump into it anyway. Okay, here we go. Forgive us our sins. 
We got that one. We love grace. That's like the national anthem of every Baptist church I've ever pastored has been amazing grace, right? And we love grace. That part's pretty easy. We're, we're acknowledging the sin that we have every day. Second part gets a little harder. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. What's this asking us to do? Where do we see in Scripture that we're supposed to forgive one another, right? Matthew 18 jumps to my mind immediately, right? The parable of the forgiven debtor who holds the debt over another. Um, Forgive because why you have been forgiven is echoed in Scripture and over and over again. We're being pressed here to do what? We're being pressed to forgive as we have been forgiven in the gospel. The gospel is the model for forgiveness. And if we have been forgiven, we have much to forgive. And we have plenty to draw on to forgive others. So what is this passage telling us to do? It's telling us to do several things, but let me just make a few applications. First and foremost, it's this. When somebody sins against you, you are tempted to do several things. One of the things that you are tempted to do is to nurse your wounds. What do I mean by that? You're tempted to replay it and to think about it. And in your mind, can you believe they did? I just can't believe what is wrong with the person that would do me like this. That is unbelievable that they would talk to me that way, that they would overlook me like that, or that they would do this to me. I can't. can't. I just can't. Right? That's nursing wounds. That's nursing pain in your own heart. You're also tempted to move from that to the next level, and this is just as nasty as the first one, and that is you are tempted to believe the worst about others. You are tempted to believe the worst about others. Well, of course they would do that. Do you know what kind of a person they are? Why, they've hurt me this way. That's totally believable that they're a part of the Illuminati and a conspiracy theory to overtake the world. I believe that 110%. Did you see how they looked at me Sunday morning? Why, they didn't even say anything to me. And they made this symbol with their hands at one point. I know for sure they're part of the Illuminati. Right? You, are, you are jumping to conclusions and just assuming the worst about their character. Right? We do, you laugh because it's true. We do this. We nurse our wounds and then we always jump to worst case scenario with others. And here comes this prayer that Jesus is telling us. What's he doing? He is reminding us of the grace of God. He's reminding us of the grace that you have been given. And he is telling you that if you are truly saved, you have got to extend grace as that has been extended to you to others. You've got to do it in your prayer life and you've got to do it in your heart. Stop nursing your wounds. Stop believing the worst about people. Start getting on your knees and pleading for grace for them and for yourself. Right? That's what this is talking about. All right, this last one. This one's probably the hardest one, okay? Here we go. This is the hardest one to understand anyway. And lead us not into temptation. And thank you for reading that, Pastor. I will never use that in my prayer life again unless you force me to by making me say the Lord's Prayer, right? How many times have you ever heard somebody actually say that phrase when it was not part of the rehearsed, you know, Lord's Prayer like they do at the end of football practices and stuff? The answer is not that often. And the reason why is because when you look at this passage, what do you see? Well, it kind of looks like God is on the hook for temptation, doesn't it? Doesn't this almost read, like when you look at this, lead us not into temptation. Doesn't this almost sound like, is God tempting us? Like, is he getting on the same bus as Satan and tempting us to sin? Well, that might be why we're, we're kind of theologically uncomfortable with it, but we've never actually 
Maybe you've never thought through it until today, but let's think through it together then, okay? What is this passage actually saying? What is this last little section of this prayer supposed to be? Well, did you know temptation, the Greek word can also be rendered trial. James talks a lot about that word for trial. It could be, yes, tempted into sin, but it could also be led into a trial and a temptation like fire refines gold. Did you know fire refines gold? One of my first uh, pastorates I had was near a town where they had a big um, metal refinery. And they would take all this, I don't know if you know this or not, but the, uh, apparently the, the metal from cars, what is it called? The iron or whatever. That's the most recycled metal in the United States. They would take these old junk cars and they would drop them in this red hot vat in Bedford, Kentucky and all the impurities would come to the top and they would skim those off and sell the top quality steel to Subaru. Did you know Subaru buys the top quality steel out of Kentucky? They do. And then on down the qualities for the rest of them. This is not a commercial for Subaru, but if Subaru wanted to give me a car at the end of this, I wouldn't argue with them, right? This could be prayers that help leading into a trial. What is a faith that is not tested? Is it really a faith at all? Faith and trials go together. They happen. Asking for help in that is not anything wrong. But there's another thing here too. I do think there's, just like so many things in Scripture, there's another implication here. And that implication is this. When you're sitting at the corner of desire and opportunity, Lord help me, right? You understand what I'm telling you? There are temptations. There are, there are many of you in this room. You are predisposed to certain sins, whatever that may be, right? Whether that's overeating, whether that's looking at things that you shouldn't look at, whether that's being places you shouldn't be, drinking too much, whatever it is, right? It's like at Thanksgiving for the fat guy. When he's seated right in front of the turkey, he's at the corner of desire and opportunity, Right? It is not that far. What does the Bible tell us? Don't make provision for the flesh, right? Don't make it easy on yourself to sin. Don't make it easy to just reach out and grab what you want, what your flesh desires. Pray instead something like this. Lord, when the opportunity for me to sin arises, when that happens, take the desire from me. Or Lord, whenever the, uh, whenever the opportunity comes, take the desire. Or Lord, whenever the desire comes, strip me of every opportunity to sin in that capacity and in that way. We can never be too careful with our own flesh. It constantly desires. It constantly longs for the things that are not good for us many times. All right, now we're going to move on to verse 5. So we are seeing here in this prayer, a prayer that is reverent, a prayer that is full of repentance and seeking forgiveness of sins. And then there is a prayer of um, expectation that God will help us as we move through this. And then we move into, that's all good, that's all the parts, but how do we kind of get where Jesus was in his intensity, in his, uh, in his intentionality, and, and in, his, um, you know, in his emotion, in his being, praying that he was? Well, Jesus gives us this unique parable. And I want to say something about this. This is a, I don't know if you want to call this the, the parable of the midnight neighbor or whatever you want to call it. Luke is the only one that records this, okay? Which of you has a friend who will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. Now, some of you are, are, are night people and midnight is not a big deal for you. Others of us 
this guy, for example, midnight is very late, okay? It's very late. So somebody is, hey man, open up, and it's midnight. Most of my friends know not to come to my door at midnight. Most of my friends know that, right? I'm probably going to make a quick trick over to my safe and get my 9mm just to be on the safe side if somebody's beating on my door at midnight, right? I want to see who this is. I also have a nice little thing called ring on my door so I can see you before you see me. That's another thing I like too. You know, we're, we're kind of removed, right? This guy's beating on a door. What's happening in this passage? Well, you have someone here who is a guest that has arrived and there's an urgency to take care of them. The Middle East at that time, ancient Middle East, hospitality is a big deal. It's still a big deal there, okay? Um, it's not unlike the South here. My grandmother, I could never visit my grandmother uh, without eating something. She always made me eat something before I left. It didn't matter if I was hungry or not. I had to eat something before I left that house. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Well, in a similar fashion here, this man is taking, he is, he is identifying the needs of those who have come to him. He's seeing the needs that they have, and he is taking those needs on himself as if they are his own. Do you see that in the passage? They need fuel to continue the journey. I don't have any bread. He's taking inventory of everything he has. He is short on the shelves. He does not have a pantry like we do here in Carter County. He, he, his neighbor, though, he smelled the bread cooking. He knows something's going on. So what's he do? He turns... Hey, brother, I know you got bread in there. Open the door up, right? What's the answer? Man, I'm asleep, right? I put the kids to bed. I'm in bed. The neighbor's house. Look, you, you woke the neighbors. The lights are coming on. People are starting to stare. This is awkward, right? Let me ask you something. Somebody beats on your door at, an un, uh, at, a, at a time you're normally not awake and the time your neighbors are normally not awake and you can meet their need. Are you just going to give them one or two pieces of bread to take back to that guest? He's going to give them a little bit of what they need to fulfill that need they're trying to get fulfilled. Buddy, I'm going to give them every loaf of bread I got. Don't, I'm going to take it to them, and here you go. Here's the three loaves of bread I have. There's wheat, there's white, and there's artisan because I don't know why we have artisan bread. We think that we're fancy people. So here's all three. You take them back, and don't come back here no more. There's no more bread to get. You've got it all, Right? What does that involve, though, on the person that's giving in that equation? Well, the one who's getting up and getting the bread, there's sacrifice involved. They're having to get up from their sleep. They're sacrificing. They're having to get up, raid their pantry, whatever their wife made. It might have been their favorite bread. Who knows? We don't have that part. And they have to give. What are we learning from this? Well, we're learning a few things. First of all, identifying the needs of other people, taking them on as your own. And when you do that, understanding... Your pantry is short. You don't have everything that that person needs to, to fix or to meet the need that they have. So you need to, with the same degree of urgency, run like this neighbor did to his neighbor's house. Friend, you got to get up. I need help now. I'm going to keep hitting this door until the lights come on all around the neighborhood. I know you have bread in there. Lord Jesus, you're the only one that can help me now. Christ, listen, I know that you hear me. I know that it is sacrifice for you to come on the cross and to die and to give me all that I have. Please come to the door now. I need you to answer this prayer because you take on an intercessory prayer, the burdens of others with the same urgency 
that you have. How many times on Sunday mornings have we came in and someone has shared something that's just absolutely crushing their soul and we've said, man, that's tough. I'm going to pray about that. Excuse me, I've got to go get some more coffee. And that's all the thought we ever give it. What's this passage telling us? You want to have intimacy with the Father? You want to take on the burdens of others? This is what it looks like. This level of urgency. Because he's turning to someone here who knows that has the authority to give what he needs. Some of you have come in here today and you're lonely. Your life is lonely. Maybe you're single, maybe you're widowed, whatever it may be. Don't you know today Jesus is the best friend that you will ever have? Some of you come today, you're starved, you're empty inside. The world has drained you. You hunger for something more. The world can't satisfy. Don't you know Christ is the bread of life for you? And some of you come in here, you're thirsty today. You have tried to quench your thirst with all the pleasures and joy that this world has to offer. And yet still, Christ stands and He is living water who will quench your thirst in a way that it never has been before. Do you believe that? All right. He goes on and gives the last section here. This is very straightforward. You don't need an exegeter to tell you what this next part means here. Jesus is pointing out the fact that even people who are evil know how to give good gifts. Right? That's what he says in this next section. If your kid asks you for something to eat, a fish, you're going to give him a live snake? No, no father's going to do that. If he asks for an egg, are you going to give him a scorpion, something that could kill them or make them very ill? Of course not. And then verse 13 hits at the very close here. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, comma, look at this. Pay attention here. If you, if you highlight or underline, underline this next section, how much more will your heavenly Father give you, and what's it say, church? The holy what? Look at this. There's a trinity formula right here. Again, you have the Son telling you to speak to the Father so that you can receive the Holy Spirit. Father, Son, Holy Spirit right here. This is, this is the continual battle of the Christian life. Satan will continue to put the screws on you and the bolts on you on this particular, this, this doctrine of the goodness of God. Listen to me. I've said this before. I will say this until they put me in the ground and I stop preaching. And even then, I might make a pre-recording and have them play it in my casket just to freak people out, right? God is good. Satan always challenges the goodness of God. And if he can get you to believe that God is not really good, guess what that's going to do to your prayer life? There won't be one. If you believe God is not good... It kills your prayer life. It kills the intensity at which you pray. It kills your desire to take on the burdens of others. And you just sort of drift into this blah space where you have no intensity of prayer, no intimacy in prayer, and you question many things in the Word. Believe today that God is holy and that God is good. Believe that from the tippy tops of your socks to the top of your head. Believe that. That the truth that we're landing the plane on here, and this is it, and we're going to be done, is that my heavenly Father will deny me no good thing. Do you believe that today? That is the truth of Scripture. And if He did deny it for you, guess what? You didn't really need it. Do you have faith enough to say that? 
How many of you know who Alexander the Great is? Ever heard of that guy in history? Known for conquering the world at that time. Probably responsible, you don't know this, but probably responsible for the way we do logic and many things in our brain because he sort of was a cradle by which uh, the West was expanded. He was a great military leader. And one night he was out walking about in the middle of the night. There was a young man who was on guard duty and he was asleep. Alexander the Great found this young guard asleep. And he said, young soldier, do you know what the penalty is for sleeping while you're on guard? And he said, yes, sir, sort of sheepishly. And Alexander the Great kind of took pity on him. He's a real young guy, probably far away from home. It was on a campaign they had. He said, what is your name? He said, Alexander, sir, kind of sheepishly. He said, what is your name, soldier? Alexander, sir. And finally he said, what is your name, soldier? He said, Alexander. He said, well then, soldier, you either need to change your name or change your conduct. Are we disciples of Christ? Do we carry the name of Jesus here? If we do, and we don't have a prayer life like is being described here in Luke chapter 11, we got two options. We either need to change our conduct and pray with this level of intensity and intimacy, or we need to change our name. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day that you have given us and this passage that is here. Lord, we, we come to you now and we are just amazed at how true and how right these words we have heard this morning. Help us to apply this in our hearts, in our lives, in our minds. Lord, help this to be a people of prayer, intense, intentional, intimate prayer as is described here. Lord, we know you have given us all that we need in giving us the Holy Spirit. God, help us in those moments when the darkness is crushing in all around us. Help the Holy Spirit to lead our hearts in those moments to never forget how good God is, how he gives us all good things, and how he denies those that are his children, none of them. Lord, thank you for that. Let us treasure this, heart, this truth deep in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You've seen here the gospel in the sermon this morning. I was primarily preaching and teaching for, for believers, those who are pursuing Christ, but maybe you're not. You've seen today a model for prayer. What is, what is prayer about? It's not about a ritual. It's about a relationship. Do you have that relationship this morning? If you don't, I'll be in the back to receive you as we sing this song in response. Please stand.